Hello and welcome back to another TDAP episode. We all hope you had a great holidays, guys. Uh, Armin, how was your holiday? It's pretty good. It's fantastic. Got to be back. Spent a lot of time with Chip. I think it was just the right amount of time. You know, I'm, I'm just going into, uh, for those of y'all that don't know, I'm still in school. Going into the semester. Full head of steam. We're all good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Excited to be doing my shit. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, me too. Uh, full head of steam and bartending. Uh, pouring drinks still. Um, full head of steam and understanding. If you guys didn't know this, uh, I took some time off because I went to France and I snowboarded. Uh, not only did I snowboard, I learned to snowboard while in France too. So I'm now in full steam ahead of just snowboarding everywhere and anywhere in the world now um, because Fuck it's yeah. my new little obsession that I have. Uh, well, you, yeah. you've, you've got a full head of steam for uh, to, to grotesquely overuse that phrase with uh, recent you know, hint at this because I'll be I'll be that bastard. Uh, apologies to our listeners uh, with some ideas and expansions and some 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 fun thoughts surrounding the podcast. I do have a full head of steam for that one. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep that as vague as possible. But we, if all goes according to plan, have some exciting things in mind. Yeah, yeah. we got about a uh, four four months, five months, maybe until we uh, reach those plans. But we do have some things in the works uh, for this podcast. Uh, uh, with that, um, in terms of random stuff, um, hope you guys enjoyed the holiday episode. Um, I know that was our last episode posted. We hope you enjoyed it. I oh, yeah. uh, had a great time. A lot of fun. I know we had a blast doing it. Um, uh, but with that being said, I don't really have much else to say. Um, in terms of catching up, life is good. Life is chill. Um, you know, Farman's back in school, back on the grind. I'm back working, just on the grind. Uh, so, yeah, uh, everything is doing pretty good on our front. We hope everyone else is doing good. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, we have a couple emails over the holidays, which we really enjoyed uh, reading to or replying to. Uh, we apologize for the delay, but hey, remember, we're here for you. If you want to talk, chit-chat, whatever, go find us, go email us. Um, we mainly, or let me it, I will mainly communicate through either Twitter messages or emails. Um, I do have a Facebook page, or we do have a Facebook page that I never use now. Uh, I very much just Instagram, or sorry, uh, email and Twitter, uh, or X, whatever you want to call it these days. I personally am bad at responding to emails, but if you directly call me out, uh, if you have any specific questions or comments i will respond to those as well chip mainly runs our social uh functions though he'll get to them as soon as i get to it and then tell him to get to it precisely Uh, that's precisely how it operates exactly but uh with that being said let's go ahead and jump right back in uh we've had like a whole month off almost i feel like since we've done uh since we talked about this book maybe close to it um we left off where will was wandering in circles because he's delusional now from heat exhaustion and everything so he's having a tough time uh but maybe not as tough as eric because eric not only was captured and ransomed off he's now been recaptured by a whole different group um and having to deal with that now oh yeah so everyone's kind of um in shambles i think is correct terminology maybe um and just trying to figure out life uh one heating their self to death in the desert and the other one just constantly going yeah, I don't know if the correct word burning himself, heating himself. I don't. I don't dehydrating himself. No, the correct term either. Exhausting himself. Well, I think the reflexiveness is 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 where you're you're fucking up here. He's dying in the desert, guys. There we go. Period. 
Um, <laughs> so that's where we left off. Uh, if you guys are following along, this section we're covering uh, chapters 26 through 34. Um, we jump back into uh, Eric's scene with the uh, Iridians and the Aralwins and Spengel, uh group. They are doing some very um, scouting powers. They are just looking around. like They, they are scouting out the scene. And mainly Gillen is doing it. Uh, right as they kind of come to scene, Hulk kind of like leans over. He's like, yo, uh, check this shit out. See what you find out. Um, and then he starts talking to Selethan uh, and Spangle. Uh, apparently, we get this another... I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Armin. Um, we get introduced to the Scandian called uh, Toshak. Yes. Uh, I don't remember him ever coming up in the previous... In this book at all. Honestly, he's referenced uh, a couple times. Okay, well then I'm just not paying attention. Um, but I, I, I thought it was the first time. The point is, is he's brought up again about being the one who wants to take uh, Eric's place in um, Scandia. Yes. Um, they're going back and forth. Salisans has all these, you know, reasonings and questions, and Halt is very cool and calm and just answering his questions. Uh, very well, like he he you. Once again, we see Flanagan's writing and person is or uh, personality of Holt here shown of how well of a diplomat he is in a sense. You know, he is very comfortable talking and as negotiating and calming the situation, smoothing it out. Um, and for the record, it's not with his fist this time. He's you know because we have heard that he just throws people out the windows or hold them out the window. So you know, this time it's actually with his Only words. Only when they insult Pauline. <laughs> exactly. Although I love here this um, this dynamic about halfway through the chapter, they're debating with Selethan, and then Horace interjects, and Horace has yes. himself a good moment where uh, he goes, "You know, how could we have known?" And he reasons it out, and Halt puts puts a little faith into Horace, and Horace like talks his way, like gets out of that situation. Yes, um, I will say this. Before we even get to Horace's situation, Holt, when he's talking, if there is something afoot in this scenario, and you're constantly asking questions, and there's this very calm person, a very person who just feels like he has all the answers, it's also very easy just to believe that person. Yes. You know what I mean? Like a lot of mystery novels, like there's there's just one person who just kind of knows a little bit too well what could have happened, <laughs> and it just. And I'm not, obviously, I know Holt's a good guy, but what I'm saying is, it just it, it, it kind of like, it's like, oh man, like if we didn't know who Holt was, you'd be very, I'd be very skeptical of his answers and how well they're thought out. Um, but yes, Horace here, he comes in, he's like, yo, I got something to say, and and at first Holt's like, no, 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 you're fine. And Horace is like, no, I got this. Um, and Holt backs up, and sure enough, Horace very easily smooths over the situation. And Halt builds off of that uh, once once Horace has made his point, and they work really. I'm about well to say, together. then he loses it, and then he loses it and starts to trail a little bit. And Halt steps in. The Halt, the Halt catches it early on, and he steps right. And he goes, "Yep, that's exactly the point." This is a great. So like, go back to his main yeah. point. <laughs> this is a great representation of dynamics between characters. Uh, and, and Flanagan is really good at noticing like small little gestures. And we've talked about this before, but with Horace, he doesn't. Basically, he shows that not all the characters are all right, and not of them are all wrong. Um, with Horace, Horace has like a good instinct, and then Hulk plays off of it, and they they 
she shows like this senior, more experienced uh, leader or, or mentor. Um, knowing not just uh, when to back up and, and let, let the kid do his thing, but then to build off of it and spin it the way they need it. No, I, I think they've worked really well together. And I think a big part of it has to do with Horace just, sorry, with Holt knowing how people talk and who they are. Yeah. Right. There's a very, I think it is very good at just understanding. Yeah. And honestly, it's a bit unrealistic to real life in the sense of like all of these people, like they're, they're friends and they spend a lot of time together, but all of them have this uncanny understanding of where each other's minds are at, which is, which is partially due to their connection. But I honestly think it's a bit overblown and it's a little convenient. Um, yeah. But it makes for for enjoyable reading and for like these really really smooth interactions, to where a lot of them understand, even if it's not outright where they're going, they like fully completely understand and trust each other that they are indeed going somewhere, and it's not quite that smooth in real life, but it makes for a very for a very clean transition and a very good communication, uh, like from the uh pages to the to the reader exactly um and, and, and salithan realizes what horse is saying and holt is saying he's like okay you're right there is no logical way yeah. that you guys could have done this to my men and so there's only there's like obviously uh, there's only one way this could have gone um and He's like, all right, we'll go ahead and track him tomorrow. And the Gillen goes up. And he's like, why not right now? He's like, we don't have enough information. And Gillen's like, drops like drops the mic speech. He's like, well, there's about fifty of these guys, and they're traveling like this, and they waited over here, and just lays it all out. And Salita's so like, uh, oh, okay, I guess we go now. <laughs> like, very well done, very thought out. Um, now. During this time, we get the notice that there are 80 guys, or uh, suspected to be 80, um, 80 men uh, against their 50. So they believe that, yes, they're under, they're, they have less men than they should, but they do have the act of surprise, especially because uh, it is very rare for the Rydians to actually be able to track them through the desert. Yeah. And we get a, a small interaction uh, with Evelyn as well. Uh, insisting that she re- oh, yeah. accompany the very end. Yeah. Very very like yeah. characteristic and, and, and it is and it, once again it, it, and I love how Holt stands up for it. Yeah, her. yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah, I think it's well, it's character growth, one, you know. But two is just trust within your teammate and your and your friends and your allies that you have, right? You know Absolutely. He's like I've seen her like in his head he's like I know she can hold her own if she needs to. Um so I think it's very well done at the end of that one too. Oh yeah. Moving into uh, chapter twenty-seven, it starts off with you know the bitter cold of the desert, which is always something that that just really astonished me. You know, it's like how like that arid and and how absolutely just mind-numbingly hot it gets during the day, and then you freeze to death at night. Um, speaking of which, you know, there's winter storm going on. I know North Carolina didn't get too bad, but up here, it's like a foot and a half of snow on the ground, and it's like ten degrees out right now. Uh, Good God. It's felt in the negatives all week with the wind chill. It is wind chill. awful. That was brutal. It didn't, oh, I, it didn't go I... above zero until Thursday. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe. That's cold. Oh, yeah. 
No, I uh, we've we've had like you know twenties and teens, but like tomorrow's supposed to be like fifty. Tuesday's supposed to be like fifty-five. Wednesday, Thursday's supposed to be like sixty and seventy. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> like checks out. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yep, yeah, that sounds like North Carolina. Oh yeah. Well, if you're uh, if you're unmistakably cold right now, stay warm, stay dry. Don't be like Will. Um, if you, yeah, and if you were. I'm sorry to say this. If you're dumb enough to go to the Chiefs game when they played the Dolphins in the negative 30 degree chill, I can't believe you deserve to go to the hospital. I, okay, I can't guys, believe. You did, you, if you went to the hospital, you deserve to go. I can't believe okay? they kept that game going. I think it was, it was so stupid. And Peacock, it was just it was all around just a dumb, oh, yeah, dumb idea. Yeah. Chip's more invested in, in the uh, playoffs than I am. Yeah. By the way, uh, sad to say, the Buccaneers lost. <laughs> No, I just kind of knew they were, but I wasn't hoping. I like Mayfield, so I was kind of hoping he'd pull through. But man, I'm pulling for the Lions Detroit just because it's the fucking Lions, dude. <laughs> Fuck the Lions. <laughs> I have nothing really wrong against them. I just never have enjoyed anything Detroit. <laughs> Damn, I mean, <laughs> which, which I can now change because when I flew to France, I flew to Detroit Airport. And by the way, guys, y'all's airport. Pretty nice. Yeah, if we got anybody from, from the Detroit area, Chip's got beef. Um, <laughs> yeah. Come down to NC. I'll fight you. No cackalacky. No cackalacky. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, but yeah, as, as we were saying, Chapter 27, Will is uh, Will's experiencing a lot Oh yeah. in terms of temperature change. I feel like, like I, I don't feel the drasticness like he does, but I feel that, man. Going from cold to hot to cold, it is crazy. And having no water, uh, we left. We left uh, him last chapter or last time we had him. Uh, he saw like a mirage. I think that's what they're called, where he believes there's something there, but it's not. Um, but uh, he, uh, it's nighttime, and he's uh, passed out. He's trying to stay awake. Ish. He's trying to at least understand what's going on. He hears footsteps. He hears hooves, and then all of a sudden we see lion on the page. And I'm not gonna lie. My reading skills, or my analyzing skills, apparently went down very heavily in the new year. Because I didn't catch on to that there being a lion until it said it was a lion. I'm not saying it was the easiest thing to, like, to like yeah, it was, obviously realize. It was a pretty, pretty smooth transition. But I definitely was like thrown off guard. I was like, okay, the horse just is like thirsty, right? But no, there's a line. Um, I literally said in my notes, I hope the horse survives. Damn. Uh, as we know later. The horse did not survive. Um, but as we go into the chapter, we have this uh, mysterious rescuer. Uh, and here, okay, so when I was first, when I, if you guys remember last time we were reading, I did say the Tualagi to have Eric are also going to be the ones who capture Will. I did say that as a prediction. As I'm reading, I did put in my notes. I do believe that if uh, I believe it was, I believe it is the Medulin people, Medulin people, the the same the the allies that yeah. the Iridians had, because if it wasn't them and Eric had Eric was with the Tulagi, he would have recognized well. So as I was reading this, I was like, I really believe that this is. 
not the Tulagi. This is the Bedouin. Bedouin. Bedouin people. Uh, try. Now, granted, my prediction is definitely wrong that I had last time for this, this scenario. But as I was reading, I kind of thought more about it. And I was like, I don't think it's actually there. But we do have some great news. Tug is alive. Tug's alive. Tug's back. Mm. Tug's alive. Uh, he wakes up. Um, and uh, he's in an oasis uh, area. You know, he's, he's it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, oasis is like just Paul with trees, like a grassy area in a desert, right? Like it's like with a little watering hole. It's basically a watering hole area, it's right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Um, and for some reason, I, I don't know why I always think oasis, I always think like a beach lifestyle. When someone says Oasis? Yeah, they're sort of portrayed to be that way, like palm trees and shit. I don't actually know. I've yeah. never seen one. Yeah, same. Um, but I would say beach lifestyle. Um, and I did call it. It is the Bedouin. Yes. Uh, they did say it. Um, I'll say the prediction is wrong that I had earlier. The prediction is wrong. But, yeah. There's no but about it. I guess it was wrong. It's just, that's it. Um, Going into chapter 28, we're going back. This is a very much back and forth chapters, guys. We go back from Will to the Iridians to Will the Iridians. So it's back, very back and forth. Uh, we're on the trail uh, of the Tulagi. And I think we, as Armin and I, we live up to our podcast name, kind of. We're tracking. Not through the forest right now, but we're tracking. Uh, yeah, I mean, right, half of what the rangers do is tracking. Exactly. So I think we did pretty good no in here, terms though. of naming our podcast, sort of, guys. Sort of exactly, yeah. I know, so we're like 50, right? 50% right. Um, but we're tracking. Um, Gillen and Holt are very good. In, and I like how there's two of them because, as it's describing, they're able to take their fake trails. Like, one person gets the fake trails and one takes the more, like, what they believe to be the actual trail. And they're able to, like, choose which ones and uh, decide which one's the right trail. Yeah. Um, I love this trust that is growing between everyone, mainly Salethan to their elements, right? Yeah. His trust with them, um, his honor, you can tell his honor is very big to him. Uh, and you can tell his word means a lot to, to him uh, and his people. Because he, he not only does he trust them to lead them, lead him correctly and just, you know, blindly almost in effect in a sense. He's also allowing them to just take Salethan ahead later that afternoon and let the everyone else catch up. Uh, yeah. Which I think is a really big thing because he is... Uh, he, he he hasn't seen the Rangers in action yet, right? He just kind of knows them. But he could tell that they aren't just like just regular dudes either, right? And this is something... I, I want to backtrack actually a little bit to Salethan in chapter 26. Sleethan does a great job at picking every single person apart when he is trying to figure out if they're telling the truth about what they're saying that they couldn't do it and stuff. Like when he is analyzing everything, he takes every single person apart. And I love his description of Paul. He goes, you can tell this man, like him and Gillen, like this man is very much the leader. Everyone trusts him. But not only does, does everyone trust him, they like him too. Yeah. You know, it, it is it is something that, you know, it, I love his way of being able to read his people that he's with. And, and he does a great job at depicting everyone. You know, he's like Horace and Svengel. These are just big battle dudes. They love to fight. They love to hit, you know. But, like, these two are very thoughtful and, like, 
they want to go through the thought process and figure out things. So I really enjoy that um, for them, I guess. Uh, but as uh, as we get into chapter 28, again, sorry, back to 28, uh, they go ahead. We find out that they're doing a zigzag kind of, kind of motion. Um, and as they're figuring it all out, uh, Salethan talks to his dudes. And this is another great thing about Salethan, too. I don't know if you guys caught this. So they traveled through the afternoon, through the heat of the day. They sit, they're waiting for their group to catch up. And instead of just being, okay, you guys are all here and then going to lay down and rest, Salethan goes around to all the little pockets of groups of his dudes. Yeah. It makes sure to give words of encouragement, words of, you know, criticism if needed, words of, you know, just laughter. It's, he does a very good job at being personable with every single person out there, right? Um, maybe not one on one, but within a group, you know, he'll go to like a group, probably there's probably groups of five, groups of 10, you know, just kind of hanging out. He'll kind of hang out with each group before he takes time to himself at that time, which I think is really cool, honestly. I think that's really cool of him to do because, it just shows how good of a leader and why he's respected for who, what position he's in, you know, and why people do like him and, and, and everything. Yeah, there's sort of that we, we're coming back to that sort of universal constant in Flanagan's world of everyone, except for a couple outliers, one, uh, automatically respects people who can do things they can't do. We get a bit of Salethan's uh, internal commentary about that when it comes to the Rangers, their, their tracking abilities, and also has sort of this, this baseline of honor and, and respect. And Flanagan puts a lot of emphasis on these good leaders and what they do, uh, particularly in terms of like checking up on their men, having personal relationships with their with their soldiers, and uh, particularly when it comes to like military like function and honor, he maintains this this very personable standard of um, leaders are not just good decision makers, but also good like people uh, and and good people understanders. Um, yeah. And and Salethan fits that bill, and part of it also uh, is a consistency thing, it, where in order for the group, in order for the group uh, of Aralwin, Scandians, and Aridi to get along and to fully work together, then they have to have the, the Flanagan has to set them equal to one another, uh, because if they're not, then there's going to be some consistency issues and some personality issues. And so by doing so, Flanagan isn't just like maintaining to his pretty, uh, pretty, pretty common basis uh, of honor and morality, but he's also avoiding any problems and any clashes of personality where uh, there is no reason to favor the Aralluans over the Aridi or the Aridi over the Aralluans. They're sort of all put on this equal footing. And we already, we've, as the readers, already seen a lot of the Aralluans, like honor and morality, especially with the Rangers. And so reiterating that point with the Aridi, with the, Aridi, with the Bedouin, uh, with Will, a bit later on in this chapter, or in this section, and with uh, Salethan and his men with Halt and Gillen, you setting all of your secondary characters and your allies equal. Um, yes. Not to say that there aren't benefits to, to keeping them unequal. That can can cause some conflict, and you can build off of that in the story. But with Flanagan, he's not really concerned with uh, interpersonal or like inner like ally conflict. He's already got enough conflict, and so by setting them equal, he's erasing these problems and keeping these characters as likable and relevant 
uh, as the rest of the group that he's got. And it helps with managing a big group of of sort of primary and secondary characters. I realize he does that with a lot with this this whole story. Yes. Or whole series, Apprentice, Rangers Apprentice. Because, I mean, he does it with the Scandians. He does it with uh, the, the Scandians and the Rowlands. He did it with uh, the uh, McCollum, McCollum and Will, right? Like, yeah. you, you can tell that he he's very good at the initial conflict is now resolved and now we're equal. Yeah. Uh, they're all very because recent. there's always a bigger even. There's always a big. It's, it's logical too, and it, there's always a bigger even. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, it, it, with that, um, as he's going around to like, his little groups, one of these dudes mentions about you know why they're going zigzags, where they're most likely the the Tula guy are most likely headed. Uh, and he's like, look, we could just stop the zigzag and just go straight there, which is very logical. So plan is action. Uh, no more zigzagging. They're going to go straight. Uh, chapter 29. We're back with Will. He, I love the relationship between Umar and his wife. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's very, you you can tell they work. You know, it, it's just very charismatic. I love, oh, yeah. I love the, it, it's such a, it's such a heartwarming relationship, I guess, is the best way to put that. Um, so uh, I really enjoy that everywhere they go, their longbows are very mysterious to everyone, yeah. right? I love how that's a very uh, common thing, uh, and it's very repetitive. You know, everyone's like, oh, what is this? Or why is this? Like, what, what? And I think a bigger thing is I don't think, I don't think anyone doesn't know what a bow is. They just haven't really seen one like that and unstrung, right? Like, it's, like it's in two pieces. Like, what the heck is a stick? And why do you have a piece of string, right? Historically, that's uh, also fairly in line with sort of Flanagan's not historical, but pretty historical representations of, of different like cultural groups. Uh, namely, because the English longbow was absolutely unique in, in every capacity. Um, we, I think we talked a bit about different bow styles in book four with the Temujai. Uh, and, and the Mongol yes. short bows. Uh, and uh, there was a good amount of uh, Turkish factions that used short bows as well. But the English longbow okay. was absolutely unique uh, in, in medieval history, specific solely, to, basically solely to England, um, yeah. if not the British Isles. But um, or like, like uh, if you're looking at like Ireland or um, Great Britain, um, namely because of the type of, of wood it's made from, you. Um, but yeah, and it's also uh, with with Flanagan and, and a lot of writing, and intentionally or unintentionally, a lot of a like a character's effects or like the things that they have uh, roll into their personality, and they serve more as uh, not not just items but also identifiers and sort of symbolic of their uh, personalities. Um, prime example of this one, like Will's Will's longbow, like familiarity with their weapons, as opposed to Horace's a longsword. And his buckler shield, as opposed to Sleethan's curved, like curved saber, um, they all sort of mark these different styles, these different personalities that they all fit in. Um, very specific, uh, good example of this is the things they carried. Uh, I don't know if I've recommended that one. Very good book. It's a uh, veteran's account of Vietnam. That's sort of uh, is sort of memory slash mystical slash a little fantastical. Uh, it just tells a bunch of stories about what they experienced and how 
uh, and what some of the guys experienced afterwards. It's very tragic at times, but it's centered around how much all of those things that they uh, that they had with them weighed, and how much more the actual experience weighed on them later. Uh, and he sort of maintains this this passing relationship uh, with the truth, sort of a self admitted uh, the narrator uh, Tim O'Brien is who wrote it. Uh, admits to sort of Understood. this could all be true, this could all not be true. It doesn't really matter. This is how it felt. Um, right. Fantastic story. Absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend. Um, <laughs> as long as you're in a good mental state, like I said, it gets pretty depressing. Yeah, not all of yeah. it's depressing. Yeah, some really, really moving Fair short enough. stories in there. Good, good book. So what was it called? Uh, the Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Oh. Highly recommend okay. uh, to our listeners. And right. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, Umar and his wife, Cielema, uh, Cielema, I think would be Cielema. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it's Cielema. I absolutely love their dynamic. Uh, you know, she offers, yeah, yeah. offers them. Where Umar asks her for coffee. She asks Will if he wants some. He says, yeah. He says, okay, I'll get some for Will. Um, yeah. And it is important that Flanagan shows that this isn't like an abusive relationship because, you know, Umar is, like, is constantly grinning and like laughing with her as, as it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good, uh, good dynamic. Yeah. And like I said, the weapon's always intriguing to everyone. Um, so Umar picks it up and uh, Will's like, oh, let me demonstrate. And these are literally my notes in this section. I go, oh no, no, not the kids. Okay, the kids. <laughs> and then I keep on reading. I go, yeah, y- you deserve that, Will. And I go, oh, well, thank goodness for Will's keen eyesight. That was literally my notes, namely, like verbatim for each each section. Yeah, <laughs> as we go through this a little bit. Yeah, Will. Um, if you guys are following along, Will strings his bow. Try to find a decent target that's, you know, safe. Because he doesn't want to shoot anybody. And then he looks at kids. And he's like, okay, can't shoot in that way. And then he's like, catch something catches his eye. Or it's, a kid kicks the ball and goes underneath the rock or something, right? Which I'm pretty sure Flanagan is just describing soccer without saying soccer uh, there uh, that the kids are playing. But the ball goes underneath something. And Will immediately shoots at the kid. But misses the kid. And... All of a sudden, Will just gets clobbered oh, yeah. by him. I mean, he just gets slapped. Uh, and he is down, like, he's not down for the count, but he is head spinning, and Umar's yelling at him, you know. And Umar's very justified, you know. He's like, oh, yeah. you just shot up my kid. You could have killed him. Like, you think that's impressive? It's not impressive. It's dead up. You know, he's he is very logical. And then Salima comes back, and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not what happened. He actually saved Will. Or saved the kid. Will saved the kid. And she pulls out a desert... Um, the sand, was it sand viper. Or Cupra? Sand viper. Uh, and Umar feels immediately ashamed. Starts like patting him down, trying uh, to make sure he's okay. And his wife just like, yeah, yeah, shoes yeah, yeah, him yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's a very much that cartoon where like someone freaks the other character... And then just whack him as hard as they can with the pan or whatever they have in their hand. Yeah. And they realize it's their buddy. They're like, oh my god. They lift him up and start brushing him off and everything. Very cartoonesque, I guess, um, is the deal for me. <laughs> um, and right here, they go. And Will states. And I want to make I want to make note of this. Will states that they're now even. He saved, They've saved his life. He saved a kid's life. Yeah. 
they're evil. They asked what else they could do for him. He goes, oh, just give me food and drink and I'll be on my way with my horse. Mm. And the ending mm. of this chapter, he goes, your horse, that's not your horse. And I was like, that's not Tug? Like, was he that delusional that Tug isn't oh. alive? That's my thought process this whole time. So that's my whole thought process going as I was reading chapter 30. Still believing that it was not, like, Tug wasn't the real horse. <laughs> but going back to the Ovidi party, right? Leaving all my hopes of annoyance and sadness in chapter 29 behind. Go back to the uh, the party. And they did a straight shot. They're about, I, I would believe it's four kilometers away from the Tula guys party. That's the parameter scouts notice. Uh, and they send Gillen out to go scout it out. Uh, and horse decides, or the horse has to go with. They're like, yes, you can, but you're only going to go two kilometers. So in case we need to get hightail, we can hightail. Uh, but two, you're, basically horses keep in company, which is good. He's a good man for that, right? Very good, very smart. Um, uh, they get there. There's not much to talk about. It's very, a very uh, just detailed oriented of what Gillen's doing, you know, moving between, shaking covers, keeping the shadows, why he moves all the way around just to save spots. But as he's scouting out, something catches his eye. And I actually kind of believe one of the statements I think that's in here. He goes, something caught his peripheral vision. He looks at it. He doesn't understand what he saw. And then he looks away to see if his peripheral vision will see it again. Do you believe your peripheral vision does better at catching things in mind or is that science is that like what's the deal with yes do you know uh yeah yes it, it is in a, in a sense um so now you must forgive me if i give an interact an inaccurate account uh it's been a while since i've taken psychology or anatomy however um yes so uh actually the uh cones in your retina uh for uh basically the things that accept color and transmit it to your brain are uh they take color um from forward and the further you go towards your peripheral, they're actually in black and white. So the very edges of your peripheral vision, even though you can't really see it, like, you know, um, uh, only see black and white. They're meant to catch movement. Um, like, they're fully, like, y- the way that our, like, eyes and face are situated, like, you're meant to catch color. Like, you're meant to catch movement in general. Color is more important when it's in front of you, and the peripheries of your vision are meant to actually catch movement. Um, so, yes. Is that a, like, is that like a predator prey thing? So like you're able to catch like not what you're looking at, but the things that might be coming at yes. you. Yes, uh, that actually is why okay. uh, more preyish like animals, like deer. That's why their eyes are on the sides of their head, uh, is to see in in split direction. So most, uh, um, just in terms of biology, uh, more carnivores and herbivores have their eyes pulled towards the front of their faces, like and, and have flatter faces, whereas um, most herbivores have uh, their eyes either tilted out or fully on the sides uh, of their head um, so that they can see predators, um, whereas predators need that. Uh, and, and we count there, too. We we need our eyes uh, in front because of depth perception. Um, that That's basically the whole um, thing about, about eyes being pulled forward or oriented at the front of the face is that for depth perception and chase it, like for the act of physically chasing something down, uh, having depth perception makes that way easier. And so um, uh, carnivores and predators uh, and omnivores like, like we are uh, evolved better with having front-facing vision, but the periphery of your eyes still 
are, are meant to catch movement. Um, so yes, there, there is uh, a science behind it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm 100% right on my science. Uh, like I said, it's been a hot second. But yes, there, there is reason behind Gillen not focusing on that and letting his peripheral vision catch it instead uh, for movement. Understood. Understood. That's really cool. Uh, I, I, I thought there was, but I didn't know the science behind it. I'm glad you give it to me. Yeah. Uh, um, that's actually... The point is... is um, I was just going to continue on to okay. that. There's, Holt makes a couple of notes about that in book one with Will's training. Uh, actually, when they first encounter Gillen, he says, don't look for where he is, look for where he'll be. In terms... And, and just... Uh, essentially just scan and look around for movement. If you catch movement, you'll be like rewarded by seeing it and sort of instinctually. Now, Flanagan puts a great emphasis on instincts and that one, I'm not sure how accurate that might be. I do think that Flanagan's like counts of six senses and instinct is a bit overblown. Not that they don't exist. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. In general, the movement tricks with, with your peripheral, with your peripheral vision, um, as far as I know, is fairly accurate. Uh, cool. All I was to say is that Gillen does spot someone. Yes. Uh, and he clearly does see someone. Uh, but that's kind of the end of that chapter. He'd go back and report. Uh, we'll get that in chapter 32. But um, but yeah. Finally back to chapter 31 after my heart had sunk. It was a very emotional roller coaster with those tug or not tug during that whole time. Just trying to know. So it is his horse. I did get relieved. It is tug. But the way the Belladin's uh, rule of law is, is finders keepers. Yes. Basically, right? Yes. Now, I'll say this. They're going back and forth to bickering. I hate how good Umar's arguments are. And how well he puts them up, and it's 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 not cool. It's not it's so nice. It's just, but it's fair. And I love his statement of like when uh, Selena comes out or Selima comes out, and she's like, "Well, well, you're the leader. Can't you just let like can't you just tell the boy?" And, and he goes, "That specifically is the reason why I can't do that because it." Then he would he realizes that he's using his power for his own for his own personal choice instead of for the good of the people right his own well-being even though it doesn't really benefit him but it's still using something for him that he would want right um you got to acknowledge the respect here like will is obviously upset and it's oh, obviously unreasonable living. to him and umar is obviously uncomfortable but i mean you you have to respect the choice to stick with it. And he, he says specifically, he says, because uh, his wife is, is trying to get him to do it, is it's because the uh, it's because I'm the leader that I can't do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't ignore our laws. I can't ignore our customs. Doesn't yeah. make him, you know, any like antagonistic towards Will. It's just that's how they do things. Yeah. Um, I really did. I was like, well, here's Will really earning his name treaty right like that's like i feel like mm, yeah he's trying to earn his name here right uh so so he wants to talk to the boy who got him right uh i didn't write down the boy's name i completely forgot what it was Hassan. Uh, but Hassan, right so he's gonna go and talk to the boy and the boy obviously is like no you can't have the horse but i want to know one thing was like what he's like how do you ride him he, the will's like oh, i'm not gonna tell him tell you that and, and and the boy asks him he goes prove it that you can ride right and will 
happily jumps up on there, clearly shows that he could be ridden, and this is told to get off, right? Because obviously they don't want him to escape. Yeah. Um, I knew from the way, one, how well Will shot the bow and how Umar saw it, but how much Umar cared for the kids, I think as a whole, that fighting was going to be off the table, even if it was nothing but hands, right? Like, even if it was a full-on brawl. I, I knew that would never fly. Um, I like this idea of a race. I thought it was very well thought out. It's a good, it's a good negotiation. Um, and and even more so, Flanagan does a good job of showing that, like, the, the Bedouin like this idea, too. Like they they're oh, really yeah. into it too, like that, and and Umar is is also like very intrigued by the idea. So it is very much like Flanagan's very careful here to make sure that it is still an equal uh, situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Will finds a great way around it. Um, he nails it, you know, and, and and the stakes are, you know, if Will wins, he gets to take tug. If he loses, he gives up Tug and he tells the boy how to ride. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and and he gets to ride Tug. Sorry, Will gets to ride Tug, uh, and the boy can choose whichever horse, and he chooses Umar's horse because that's the best horse out there, which would make sense, right? The leader should have the best horse. I feel like that's just standard, so it makes sense that he wants to choose to ride. Um, going back to thirty-two, we're going with Gillen. Um, Gillen does a great job of covering his tracks. But uh, fuck this other dude, whoever he is, who left his tracks. We never get to know who it is, but uh, which kind of annoys me. But yeah. Uh, the point is, because of this other dude, the Tula guy now know that the Iridians and the Rallons are there. Like yep. they literally just spoiled the whole entire plan and everything we worked up to in these past in this section, basically. Yep. Everything we worked up to is now done for and gone. So now they're being bombarded on uh, both sides. Each side has double the amount of people. So, uh, oh, that's another thing. So when Gillen was scouting, he saw 200 people, not 80, which is, all, which is four times the amount of people that the Iridians have. Uh, and so now we're here in a situation where their fronts are being attacked on both sides, and there's two times the amount of people on each side coming at them. So, fun. Gotta love it. Just Gotta love it. Um, and fuck that other dude, dude. No, I don't know who he is, but come on, really? Like, I, yeah, that just sucks ass. Uh, I don't know who it would be. Like, I have no, I have no prediction on who that could be. Period. We did, we we did see. Sorry, Gillen did see Eric. I will say that. Uh, and, uh, and he was pretty heavily guarded. He wasn't easily to get out secretly. So, so then and there, Eric is alive. He is there. So, we're all good. Um, to chapter thirty-three, we're uh, we're back to the horses. Uh, setting up for the race is really standard. You know, there's a line. This is a lot of mental game, I guess, with Will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's debating if he believes he's even to be debating if Tug can win or not. Um. He walks Tug through the race of like, we go here, we turn around, and then we come back, like, making sure Tug understands it. 
Um, and I'm going to say this. That was a cold bet. That was so mean. Because no one bound him to win, only to see how much he would lose by. Mm. That was a cold tough, bet. Tough. That was that was tough, right? That was that was so mean. I was like, "Damn." To be fair, none of them had ever seen a horse like Tug. True, but still, yeah. like that's a cold bet. Yeah. Like you would think at least one person would be like, "Oh, I'll beat the odds. I'll go like one goal, and I guess it, or you know, like something." Yeah. Just so, like on the off chance you would, right? Um, okay, I swear, someone somewhere on a racetrack of horse, a horse track, says this statement, and he says it in this voice. And the race is on. I swear, that's the announcement he makes. And I don't know who it is, but I swear there's a dude out there, or it could just be from a TV show. <laughs> might might just be sure. from a TV but show. I swear there's a dude out there because. And that's immediately what I thought about when they kicked off and they went on their way. Great scene again. Flanagan once again shows his expertise, both this chapter and in chapter 34, of describing an action-packed scene yeah. and keeping you on the edge of your seat without it being all a sword did this, a sword did that, yeah. a sword did this, a sword did that, right? He does very good at breaking it down. Um, and I think I've mentioned this before. He, his writing is very well-paced. Then when he gets to an action scene, he slows the writing down. Oh, yeah. Like it's, it's almost as if you're reading everything in slow motion. Yeah, it's a really good technique for like any physical action um, or any like reaction to some like big thing. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good technique that's really hard to master and Flanagan does it incredibly well. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it because every time I read an action thing, I feel very enveloped in it and I don't feel... That's not that I say to feel bored in any other ones, but it, it, it keeps me it keeps me intrigued, I guess. It keeps me on the edge of my seat. Um, so here we are. The race is on. You know, tug, boom. Snatches right out the gate. Bullet. Lightning bolt. Lightning McQueen. Flash. I don't know, you name it, whatever. He is gone. And everyone's kind of shocked. He was like, uh. And then he finally goes, right? I really did see like the dock like in Lightning McQueen scene when like Lightning McQueen is like ready set go and Lightning McQueen just <laughs> and Doc's like all right Luigi come on let's go get him like <laughs> I saw that scene I didn't yeah. like obviously I didn't think you know the the uh, the Tula guys or sorry the uh, Butterlin's horse would win but I was like that's the scene I see right Bolt is or, uh, Tug is gone and there's just Sandstorm just chilling yeah. Well, the race itself, uh, you know, it Flanagan moves through it pretty well, um, but uh, it's incredibly close. Uh, and basically, just just to summarize, um, uh, it's it becomes a which horse makes makes the last ditch effort first, and Tug like fakes a falter to get the other horse to dart for it, yes. and then Tug ends up pulling out. And I love that so much because Tug has like a bit of agency in the plot. Because Will, this is like one of the few times Will doesn't do anything, and some of the best like supporting characters are ones that have their own personal agency. Um, and for anyone that know. doesn't know what I that means, um, just as a as a blanket statement, um, agency is when a character like sort of controls their own fate or has a say in what happens and what they do. And so it's it's a really good touch to have Tug make do basically all the work and and the acknowledgement that Tug 
like, instinct, instinctively did this and was smart enough to have this plan that Will didn't rehearse with him. Oh, I know. It was great. I loved it. Oh, yeah. And and lastly, uh, as they finished the race, like everyone's happy. Like everyone's happy because one, it, it comes back to that respect for ability. So all the Bedouin are really, really respect Will and Tug's ability, and you know helps no one lost any money because no one bet on it. Exactly. Which means that if you it was all around, it was all around. If you're watching, you had a great time. You got to see a good race. Oh, yeah. Didn't lose any money in the process. And yep, yep, yeah. yep. It, it was all around good. Uh, yeah, it, exactly. I put that in my notes. I love how Tug decided how the race is going to go. Yeah, I, 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 I enjoy that. I enjoy those types of things where another character is going to be the one to really decide the outcome yeah. of something. And that's that's a good tip for for writing in general. Um, secondary characters should have agency. Tertiary characters should have agency. Like really, if you have a character that exists just to drive the plot, it's not going to be a good character. It's not going to be an interesting one. Um, some good examples, uh, some some really good examples Sorry, of secondary characters. One, Echo from Arcane. Echo yes. is like the perfect secondary character because Echo pulls all that shit on his own. Like without yeah. any fully separately from the rest of them, he actually like builds something. Echo is a fantastic secondary character. Uh, Which if you haven't seen Arcane, guys, Arcane is a phenomenal show. Good show. show. Structural defects, some issues with it, but it's a fucking great show. I mean, just don't don't look at it from an author's standpoint. Don't. Just, just enjoy watch it. The just enjoy show. it. That's sort of a it curse. Is such a good at show. this point. <laughs> I love it's that a show. Great show. The characters, the storylines, the voice acting, the animation, oh, the music. The music. It's one of the best intros to any show ever. Like, I'm sorry, yes. that song slaps on its own. With the way they time it in the intro, oh, it's so good. Arcane's a great show. Yes. And Echo is oh. is one of the best, if not the best, secondary character there is in, in fantasy. Um, and I'll say this. Neither Armin and I play League of Legends. No, never touched but we it. We get it's based off of League of yeah, Legends. Like, yeah, never. Nope, neither of us. It's based off of League of Legends. Neither of us have ever touched League of Legends and, or even come close to it. It's a great and show. I feel like I didn't have to. No, no. They explained there was some references there to the game that I, that I researched afterwards, but you didn't need to know them for it to be awesome. Um, exactly. Very good show. Um, but yeah, Echo is a great example of, of a secondary character having agency. Um, and it, it is really easy, especially there's some pitfalls here. Um, uh, there is uh, a couple tropes uh, also uh, as budding authors point this out just to acknowledge, to avoid. Um, and some of them are typecasting specific types of characters. So in literature, there's come to be this stereotype called the uh, it's called the uh, the magical insert word for black person uh, trope, um, which is one to avoid. It's essentially the stereotypical this older uh, black gentleman who is this very prim and proper and has this connection with magic or some old knowledge. Uh, serves solely to help the white main character uh, find themselves or something about their life. Um, right. That is hurtful because that secondary character exists solely to help that main character and has no agency of their yeah. own. So like, if you're looking to yeah. write good, convincing secondary or tertiary characters, have them have their own agency, make their own choices, and have those choices like 
specifically affect the story. Um, yeah, that's how to write good uh, supporting characters. This is really random. Did you hear that they're actually thinking of making or the? Uh, I'm pretty sure I read this correctly. the The live action film of How to Train Your Dragon. Yes, is be I saw casting had had started for that. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm not sure either. I, I think it's why. such a good film. I don't know why they're hellbent on like making live action remakes of these movies that are not that old and are still amazing it's, as they are. Are amazing and like and, and very pre- like they're still very prevalent. Like I would get it if the movie was like 40 or 50 years old. How to Train Your Dragon is like less than one. Yeah. Like why are you? Yeah, like, why are you making these live action reboots of these movies that are not that old? I don't know. Oh. And also, why does it need Sorry, to be live but, action? Like, it, it's a fantastic trilogy on its own. Yeah, and it, and I feel like, especially with that kind of a film, yeah. or dragons in general, it's hard to really make it a great live action. I think they could make it a great live action, but like, I don't really see what they could do with a live action that would be any better than what the movie already has. That's true. Um, true. Yeah, essentially, essentially. <laughs> Half of your world and all of your book is good supporting characters. If you're writing any type of plot, character development, anything like that, secondary and tertiary characters must have agency. You can have varying levels of it, but if they're going to play a part in the main character's life and their main character's journey, they have to be able to make decisions for themselves, and those decisions have to be somewhat meaningful to the plot. If you want an example, look no further than Echo. Echo, such a great, such a great secondary character. Oh my god! Go watch Arcade, people. Great show. If you haven't already, we're pretty late to the party. Yeah, that's true. We are very late to the party. But good show. Um, good show. Like I said, structural defects um, from an author, but just enjoy it. Good show. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, last chapter of our section, th- chapter thirty-four. Uh, the battle is upon us. Uh, we are uh, being bombarded by the Tulagi, uh from both sides, right? We have 100 coming down from one side and 100 coming down from the others. Uh, the Iridians are putting their shields up, and Spangle is like, oh, I understand this battle tactic and respects it. Yeah. Like, he's like, I get this. I respect it. Uh, and they're coming down the mountain. They're coming down the sides, right? They have the high grounds, mountains, the hills of desert. Um, and Will and Gillen are just fire, 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 knocks yeah. a few out. Sorry, yeah, Halt and Gillen. Just fire, 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 you know, puts them down, puts them down. It, very impressively, you know, Evelyn still is, you know, even though she's seen it probably a bunch of times, just, you know, from practice uh, and being trained, because I think they taught her some how to shoot, and she's seen Will shoot before. Uh, just always impressed, and I would believe that, you know, Salitan's also impressed, you know, and all the Iridians, just to see how well it works. But, boom, the, you know, put a... Fo- I think they what shot eleven arrows and eleven down basically yeah. was what it was, which is on horses, which is pretty impressive, and not even including you know there was that time when Will was shooting when they were on a horse, yeah, or yeah. really killing was Will, uh, you know it was just remarkable. So uh, shields stop a lot. The spears uh, that they have ready for them uh, pierce a couple of them, and then they uh, some break through, some parties break through, and that's when. Uh, Spangle just comes in and just whacks the crap out of him, and he comes back to Horace, and Horace looks at him and goes, well, let me know when you need me to do anything. And, like, Spangle doesn't say a single thing. He just has, like, the like, the 
rage in his eyes, right? Yeah. Like almost in berserker mode, right? And just ready to go. He goes to the next party and uh, Horus is, you know, defending his own uh, in the middle of the battlegrounds. Uh, everything's going good. Everything's doing well. Uh, a couple of Radians are hurt or wounded. Um, and then the Talu, uh, Talu guy, uh, Talugi uh, retreat and they retreat for a while and Spangle is just like, what the heck is going on? Why aren't they attacking? Like, and Halt's like, chill, just relax. Like, this is what they're going to do. Because right? you can tell that, you know, he's about to be in berserk mode uh, and just go ham. And he can't have that just on his own people. With that, um, the dude comes down. I forget. Sorry, I didn't write down that name either. But the leader of the Tulagi uh, comes down. With the white flag, right? He shows up, surrender flag. Uh, and my whole entire, and my whole entire thought process is, you know, here comes the uh, surrender flag. Uh, a truce is always made. A surrender is going to be, uh, sorry, a truce flag, not surrender. Yeah. A truce uh, parlay, that's what they called it. Um, I knew they were going to offer surrender. A surrender. Uh, yep, sure enough to do. And I was kind of shocked that they did surrender, but I'm but it makes sense. Like once yeah. I like once once I got the initial shock, I'm like, wow, wow, they did. Just because I I feel like I know them, clearly I don't. It did 100 percent made sense to do it. This is one of the um, rare times where they lose the battle. Like this might this might yeah. be the only time. This legitimately might be the a, only time in the series they lose a battle. Um, this is the first time I've seen them lose a battle. This is by far the first time they've lost a battle. Uh, like so far, I I don't think they do for the rest of the series either. Um. So in that, in that way, it, it's honestly kind of nice because they're not fully invincible and, and they make a very rational yeah. decision here. Um, uh, also, impotent. I'm kind of plot. intrigued what's going to happen. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued what's going to happen. Um, I, I I do believe, because it's very common, right? You, you're The dude you saved is now back out into the woods or back into the wild. You ask him where he's going. I feel like Will's going to tell him, so I'm going to go try and track down my buddies who are tracking, they're going to this, do this. Uh, the big thing is, is that he will mention the Iridians, but he won't know that they've been now tracking down the Tulagi, yeah. right? So it's, it's it's very interesting. And he also doesn't know that his compass still doesn't work in that one area. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see yeah. what happens. Um Yeah, I'm not sure, honestly. Well, that's like, a good I, thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any solid predictions. I, I don't know. A lo- I don't. I don't understand a logical way of getting out of this, personally. Hmm. Right? Because um, who knows where the oasis is that Will's at? Right? With Umar and all the Bedouin. And if the big group is now captured by the Tulagi, like what? Like where are they going to take them? You know, to the, like they're talking about going west, I think, to the mountains or something like that, right? In the caves, yeah. But in the towns over there, so like, what, like what's the like what, what's going to happen? So I'm kind of like, like as Armin was saying, I'm kind of glad that I don't really know. I feel like sometimes you kind of can see where things are headed. This one, I am very lost to know what's going to happen, what's going to occur. Yeah, um, it's well laid in this out. Situation. Uh, but yeah, you chose great sections too, where you know you leave us off. 
not too much of a cliffhanger, but cliffhanger enough where you're like, I don't really know. Yeah. You could have left it off like right before the battle. Like, okay, I was yeah, considering it. Battle, I was right? considering leaving it off like, before the race, but then I figured the race and the battle go hand in hand. It's, there's a better spot afterwards. Yeah. Because I was like, you could have you could have left both the race and the battle off, right? And like just, you know, yeah. left it right there as a real cliffhanger. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's, it's more interesting. As you said, they go well together. Yeah, they go well together. Um, they're, in quotation marks, resolve the current situation, right? So, like, for Will, he has his horse back, he's found Tug, he's out of his way. Yeah. For the Ridians, their situation was they were lacking water, right? They were running out of water and running out of food. That is kind of solved. I'm not saying not the Tulagi are giving them plentiful water, but it's not that they're going to run out, yeah. necessarily, right? So, it's, it's not the they 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 solved a situation to be put into a different one, but, you know, yeah. they at least are alive by their, like, the main things that keep them off. So, um, I am intrigued because correct me if I'm wrong. This is supposed to be near like the Middle Eastern area, right? It's kind of what we're assuming. Uh, middle uh, North In, African, Middle East. Yeah. Okay. Um, I am intrigued that they kind of all understand each other language wise. Like there's not really like a strong language barrier. Flanagan sort of gets rid of that with, uh, this big, uh, he calls it the common tongue or the traitor's tongue. Uh, he, it's referenced okay. a couple times. I think, oh, I remember. You, I remember you saying that. Yeah, like that. Battle for Scandia, but he sort of already yeah. has this established like common language in the area, um, so it's much okay. less uh, of an issue. It just makes it easier, honestly. Like it's very, okay. it's much more convenient than having all of that and just wasting time and details getting that sorted out. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad that that, that kind of wraps up our section, guys. But I'm I'm glad that's where we left off. Uh, um, I have nothing really else to say. For some reason, I am fading, but also I'm going to go watch some football because there's football going on, guys. So I have nothing else to say. Arvin, you got anything else? I'm all good. But um, uh, as always, um, we greatly appreciate y'all listening in. We greatly appreciate y'all supporting us. Uh, keep up. If you've got any, anything to say, questions, comments, concerns, hit us up at the email um, or on Twitter. And we will maybe not promptly, but do our best to get back to you within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, aside from that, as always, we greatly appreciate your listener listenership. Thanks and take care, y'all. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to a Two Dudes in a Book podcast. Creators are Chip and Armin, and our music is done by Oscar Barbendo. Thank you and have a great day.